right? I'll be back. He's coming back. I promise you, I realize I'm the third guy. He's coming back just in time for Father's Day, ladies, kids, which is next Sunday, which is next Sunday, Father's Day. Do we have any, so I'm going to transition. That was kind of an awkward drinking transition. Now I'm getting into my sermon, right? Uh, Do we have any social media out there. Anyone uh, into social media, the Facebook, the Twitter, only one honest person, two. Okay. I was thinking there might be some crowd participation rather than just crickets. You know, I preach at South Campus for the crickets. I preach here to have y'all interact, right? I'm giving you the freedom to interact, to talk back, to heckle me, whatever. I like that. I like that. So there's been three honest people raise their hand about the social media. You have the the Facebook, the Instagram, the Snapchat, the what am I missing? You know, back in the day it was MySpace. And I, and I, I will say... And even before MySpace, does anyone remember Zanga? Yeah? You do? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, X-A-N-G-A. I think just she had it. Um, <clears throat> it um, and then wasn't like Justin Timberlake trying to make a comeback with MySpace? Like he was really pushing that. I digress, pardon me. So um, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't fully understand social media. I don't really, is there, is there anyone else in that boat that social media, you're kind of like, mm, I don't know about that. When we moved here nine years ago, I talked to a, another guy in ministry, and he knew I was moving here to um, be the area director of Young Life, which is a Christian outreach ministry uh, for teenagers. A little shout out right there. We got a Young Life leader from Alabama, the, uh, Alabama serving out at Pine Co., which is awesome. A lot of great things in your world right now, man. Way to go. Pine Cove, Alabama, Young Life, that's like the trifecta. You have arrived. So when we moved here, yeah, I was, uh, I met with a, another guy in ministry, and he says, okay, you're taking over Young Life. Like, you're good with Facebook and social media. You know how to do all that. And I said, actually, I don't. And he was like a deer in the headlights. He's like, are you serious? How do you do ministry without social media? I said, well, I, I, I talk to people, like face-to-face, and we have meals together. And he was blown away. And for, for years, really since Facebook has come out, I've had high schoolers try to convince me to do social media. They, they used to say Facebook, but now they say, um, they, they will actually say that Facebook is for old people now. No offense if you're still on Facebook, but they're using things like the Twitter, the Snapchat, the Insta, right? And so they say, J-Rush, J-Rush, bro, you've got to get on Facebook or Snapchat, whatever. You've got to get on. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, why? I said, dude, it's just Chris. You get to connect. You get to reconnect with people. It's awesome. I go, I, I, I actually think that you and I humanity, we were designed, we were created to be in relationship with each other. We were created to connect and to reconnect with other people. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, bro. That's what I'm talking about. And I say, but after you, after you connect or reconnect with them, 
why don't you just call them? I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. 100% of the time with teenagers and almost adults, they say, well, I don't necessarily want to talk to them. I just want to see what they're doing. And I go, gosh, those people are still around. I'm born in the 70s, raised in the 80s, and we actually had these types of people back then. And they were called peeping toms. They were window peepers, people who would sit outside someone's house or their life, enjoy what they're doing, not have an experience with them. They may or may not even know the people in the house, but they sit outside. There's no engagement. There's no relationship. And when we think about social media like that, it should make all of us want to take a shower and just kind of go, ugh. I, I, I do, I, I peep into other people's lives, you may have a relationship with them, and you may not. So, um, the reality is, is I think that we do that same thing with God. I think we do the same thing with God. Humanity, I think humanity in general is longing to be in relationship with the living God. Church people, we want to connect and reconnect with God. <clears throat> when Ricky, by the way, Ricky Garner, our, our uh, usual pastor, minus the past three weeks, forgive us for that. Uh, he has been he's been going around to every campus. Uh, we've been doing a little kind of merry-go-round. But Ricky is currently in Japan with the missions team. But when Ricky comes back, you know what we're going to do? We're going to gather around. We're going to stack hands. Tell us, tell us, tell us what, what went on. How did God move? What went on in Japan? We want to hear what God is doing in Japan. We don't necessarily want to go to Japan or Africa or Haiti or across the street or maybe even across the room, right? We want to stay in the comfort of our own life and pretend that we want to have relationships with other people, but we are hesitant to go to others. We're hesitant, maybe even, to go and dive into who God is. And I think what keeps us from having genuine relationships with other people? What keeps us from having genuine relationships with a genuine relationship with Jesus? And I think the word is intentionality. It takes work because relationships, they take time, they take money, they take effort, they take energy. Oh man, it's so much work to be in relationship. It's a lot easier to have online relationships than relationships in person. R.C. Sproul, the great American theologian, just passed away uh, in 2017, so a couple years ago. He says, here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, 
but we fail to study God's word because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. Our problem is that we are lazy. You see, you and I, we have been duped. We've been tricked. We've been hoodwinked into thinking that because we have friends online, that we know them. We think because we listen to a podcast, someone else preaching, that we are getting to know Jesus for ourselves. We think because we have followers online that we're actually taking people somewhere. All of these things can be, have the potential to be, artificial sweeteners. They are not the real thing. They satisfy for a short time, like cotton candy, but they don't last. Think about advertising. Advertising is an amazing thing. And if you're in advertising, you have actually a very easy job. Because advertising, what it does, it convinces you and me that we need something. That we are dissatisfied. That you and I, we should be discontent in our life. You want a new car? Go get it. You deserve it. In fact, you're probably unhappy because of the car that you drive. You don't like your drink? They got a drink for you. You don't like your wife? We've got one of those online too, right? You can find anything online if you're hungry enough, if you're dissatisfied, uh, discontent. That's how advertising works. And so we are tricked. We're duped, we're hoodwinked into encourage us to get more and more, more friends, more apps, to listen to more podcasts of other people's experience of Jesus so that I can hopefully manufacture it to become my own. We're encouraged to watch more television series and get, oh man, mm, the newest iPhone, mm, right? I mean, come on, come on, right? Let me get that. What is it, the 10? Man, if I could just get that 10. Man, I'm a volunteer leader at John Tyler High School for a young life, and it is for a high school student. Their phone is like the most precious thing. And if you can get the newest phone, oh, honey, you have arrived. You'll have so many more new friends. You will be so much happier if you can just get that new phone. Phone, right, Chris? You know what I'm saying? I mean, gosh, that phone, it's so sleek. It's so beautiful. It's a lie, is what it is. We have become Facebook Christians. We are a distracted creation. And because of that, we could be missing out on what God has for us and is doing around us. You and I might even get in just the rhythm of doing life, right? Just doing life, going through the motions. Your, um, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's doing church. Maybe it's parenting, right? It's easy to just go through the motions. Have you ever driven somewhere? You get to your destination and you're like, gosh, I don't remember the drive here. Has anyone ever experienced that, or is it, is it just me? You, you're, you're so on autopilot, 
you're distracted at every turn, you're thinking about a million different things, man, it's easy to get in that mode. The reality is, is that is scary. We've got our heads in different places, and we can miss out on what God has for us. And so my hope this morning is to help us be on our guard against distractions. In fact, I would title this message, Don't Be Distracted, right? And so my hope is that we'll um, recalibrate or readjust or adjust um, our focus back on Jesus. Maybe you've ever had a back issue, a slip disc, whatever. And Has anyone ever gone to the chiropractor in here? One, I was going to say, thank you for being quick on the draw. This guy is totally engaged. First time here is like, oh, yeah, bro, all over the chiropractor. <clears throat> chiropractor, you can have a bad back or something. You're kind of going, oh, my gosh, I can't move. Go in there. They do a little crack, a little adjust, a little click, click. You come out of there like, what's up, baby? Let's go. You know, like you're ready to tackle this thing. That's my hope for today is that that's what our adjustment, our recalibration will be back to Jesus so that we can walk out of here and be fired up, excited, and not miss Jesus and what he is doing. And so we're going to be in Mark, mostly uh, most of chapter 9. So if you have a Bible or a digital Bible, get that open. I'm going to read what Rick Um, read this morning and touch on that. But before that, I'm going to pray. So bow with me, Jesus. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Thank you for this morning that we have your word. Help us not to take that for granted. Help us not to take you for granted today, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. So Mark 8, um, we're going to see in the middle of the chapter that Jesus had come to Bethsaida. Bethsaida is at the top of the Sea of Galilee. It's around where the feeding of the 5,000 was. um, And he has healed a man who was blind there. And so from there, they travel a little bit more north to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. So you think Dead Sea, Jordan River, Sea of Galilee, Bethsaida, and then Caesarea Philippi is going to be above that. So they've gone to the villages. It was there that Jesus asked his disciples, maybe you remember this, it's a great passage, very poignant. And he says, um, basically, who do people say that I am? And they're going to say, well, I mean, you know, some say Elijah, others say John the Baptist, still say, yeah, but what about you? At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about Jesus. It matters what you think. Because you know what? There are no connections. We don't get into heaven because of a hookup. Because I know Felton, Felton hooks me up. Felton brings me to church. That's great. But Felton's faith isn't going to get me into a relationship with the Lord. It doesn't get me into heaven. So he really puts it on them. Then he's going to walk along. along. He's continuing to talk to his disciples. And he's going to tell them what's going to happen as he always did. I'm going to go here. I'm going to be beat up. I'm going to be spit on, be crucified. No, no, no. Peter's like, dude, I'm not going to let that happen. He's like, get behind me, Satan. I love that. I mean, he plays Peter so much. It's amazing. 
But then in verse 34, and this is what Rick read, he says, Then he called the crowd to him along with the disciples. So he's been walking with the disciples. He then invites the crowd into that conversation. And he says, um, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, or whoever wants to save his life or his soul, <clears throat> will lose it. But whoever loses his life or his soul for me and for the gospel will save it. So Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow me, if anybody, the invitation is open to everybody. If anybody wants to come and follow me, you've got to put yourself aside. I don't know about you. That is difficult. That's what that is. And not only put ourselves aside, he's going to say to you, I need you to die. And not only die, I'm going to take that dead person and I'm going to raise you to life again. There's a popular TV show out. It's on, I think, HGTV. Who would have known that something called Home and Garden Television would be have such big hits, right? You see all of these home shows, people buying properties, selling properties, um, flip or flop. And then yours and mine, our favorite, my homeboy, Chip and Joanna Gaines. Shout out to Waco, Texas, right? What is their show called? Fixer Upper, right? But I think that, so what Chip and Joanna are going to do, they, they have some people who buy a house or want to buy a house, and they're going to fix it up. They're going to take out a wall. They're going to paint the walls. They're going to lay flooring. They're going to add square footage. And they're going to do all of this in a week. It's unbelievable. It's so unrealistic, right? But I think that's what we think God wants to do with us, is he wants to take who we are and just um, uh, give us different clothes, get us a haircut, make us walk a different way, make us speak a different way. So he takes Kimmy over here. I'm just going to make Kimmy a a better version of himself. I'm going to make a little fixer-upper of Kimmy. And that's incorrect. Jesus wants Kimmy dead so that he can raise him to life in the newness of who he is. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Let me rewind that and play that back. Jesus did not come to make dead bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. That is the business that he is in. And so we're going to continue in verse 36 of Mark 8. It says, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? You see, I used to think that that was a salvation verse, right? What good is it for a pagan, a, a lost, a carnal man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his salvation? But who's he talking to? He's talking to his guys. He's talking to his disciples. And he's invited the crowd in to listen to them. Jesus has been walking with them. Could he simply be um, reminding his disciples and his followers of their calling? He's like, man, be on your guard against distractions. You will have temptation. You'll be tempted to chase Many things. In fact, just five chapters earlier, um, Jesus is going to talk about 
the parable of the sower. You remember the four soils, the seed that's thrown, there's four different soils. And when explaining the third soil type, this is in Mark 4, 7. Um, this is when he's just giving the parable. And then in verse 18 and 19, um, he's going to explain it. <clears throat> but in Mark 4, 7, he says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Then in verse four, chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he's going to unpack, like, what does that mean that it fell among thorns, it didn't bear grain? Like, what does that really mean? He says, still others like seed sown among thorns, they hear the word, right? You and I, we get to hear the word. We have the word at our fingertips. We might even hear a lot of word. They hear the word, but, that's a big but. Sir Mix-a-Lot made an entire album about big butts, right? But the worries of this life, I'm guilty. The deceitfulness of wealth, I'm double guilty. And the desires for other things, I'm guilty. They come in. They choke out the word, making it unfruitful. That... I think he's warning, rewarning his disciples, his followers, that that is what it looks like to forfeit your soul. That's what it looks like to forfeit your soul. Okay, so the three, they get, they get um, <clears throat> I'm sorry. So from there, it goes on, and I love uh, verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, and he said to them, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. And they're like, what in the world? Who, who's going to see the glory of God? Well, the three, Peter, James, and John. He's going to take the three. He's going to take them up on the Mount of Transfiguration where he is going to reveal his glory. Man, that will blow your hair back unless you don't have any, right? Felton, wow, are you kidding me? Jesus basically pulls back the curtain of heaven, much like what happens on a mission trip. You go on a mission trip, you have this unbelievable experience. You spend time in God's word. You spend time praying. He, he gives you a word from the Lord, right? And oftentimes those experiences, those things are difficult to transfer, Seeing Jesus transfigured, it wasn't for everybody. It was for the three who were there. What's happening in Japan on the mission trip right now, it isn't for us. It's for those who are there. That's why there's great value of going. That's why there's great value in spending time alone with Jesus for yourself in his word. That's why there's great value in spending time alone praying to God for yourself, not being spoon-fed by pastors or churches or missionaries, but experiencing Jesus for yourself. And really not forfeiting your soul, being distracted, not peeping into someone else's experience of who Jesus is, but having that for yourself. And so the three, Peter, James, and John, have this unbelievable experience. 
and they end up coming down the mountain where some craziness is going to take place. And so we're going to pick up in verse 14 of Mark chapter 9. It says, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with a wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about? He asked. So the, the, the three of them, or the four of them, the three disciples and Jesus, come down the mountain and they engage. There's this wild commotion going on. Man, we love commotion. Humanity, we love chaos. We love excitement. We love drama and they have walked up into a drama filled scenario oh yeah whoa are you kidding me they got this boy this church is rich that's what i'm talking about i've never had this voss mm, i feel special they take care of their pastors i'll tell you what I might be fighting for Ricky's job next. Shoot, I ain't scared. I ain't scared. Verse 17, it says, a man in the crowd. Are y'all ready for this? Because it's about to get crazy. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. That's freaky. I, I, the demon possession, demons, that'll make you kind of go, oh, mm-mm. That's, in my opinion, that's scary. Verse 18, whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He, he gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. Here it goes. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. So a father comes down. And he goes, I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Basically, the dad takes the nine, not Peter, James, and John, because what were they doing? They were up seeing Jesus for who he is, the behind-the-scenes tour of heaven. They were having their own encounter with Jesus, right? While the other guys, thou, they're down in the village with the, the village people, hashtag YMCA, right? And they're trying to do these things. Apparently, it feels like they're going through the motions. Maybe they're even playing church. They're being unfruitful. Their seed is being unfruitful while their seed is being choked out by this very demon. So this dad, he basically gathers up the nine disciples. He sees the beer truck heading up Broadway, and he's like, right? He totally chunks the disciples under the bus. Your boys here, these homeboys, they tried to do it. They couldn't get it done. I'm glad you're here. Maybe you're going to be the one to solve this problem. This thing has has taken over his son, and the father wants something to happen. <clears throat> Verse 19, O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. <laughs> Do you know who he says this to? The disciples. Again, we can we, it's so easy to think, oh, you, uh, you, what, what, what good is it to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? That's for the lost. That ain't for me. I know Jesus. I know Jesus. Oh, unbelieving generation. That's for the lost. Not for me. I know Jesus. No. Both of those times, he's running right at you. His 
disciples today, right? Those who know God, who have Jesus living in their world, in their heart. He says, oh, unbelieving generation. How many got to do this? How many of you learned by now? And I wonder, if is this what God is saying to you and me? Golly. It, it totally reveals his frustration with his disciples. There's children. Man, I don't know if you're a parent, that probably never happens. We never get frustrated with our children. Whether they're four or 44, the frustrations never change. They just get bigger. Actually, they just get bigger with age. And so we're going to continue on in Mark 9, 20. He says this, so the dad, they bring him the boy. says, when the spirit saw Jesus, man, again, sometimes I think that we think of demons, we think spirits, we think of the little devil, you know, from the cartoons. It's a little four-inch demon on someone's shoulder. I just don't think that that's right. Maybe, gosh, maybe the, the demon's riding piggyback, right? This demon is in him. He is in him, and he is taking control. He is using this boy's body, his tent. He has commandeered this individual. And so he's, he is using this eyes, the boy, the eye of the boy, the demon is seeing Jesus. It says, when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. So the demon takes control of him, throws him to the ground. He begins convulsing. He's rolling around. He's foaming at the mouth. Jesus, calm as day, just says, how long has he been like this? How long has he been like this? From childhood. That would be difficult. That would be difficult. He answered, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. There he goes. This guy's clueless. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Jesus says, if I can. <laughs> do you know who you're talking to? Come on. If, if, if I can? Are you serious? Everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Gosh, Lord, teach us to say that prayer. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. It says, when Jesus saw that a crowd was run into the scene, again, you know, we love drama. We love commotion, excitement. Man, I'll be in the cafeteria at John Tyler. Boy, you see some rumbling over here. It's like every kid raises from their seat. They've got their cell phone out looking for the excitement, the drama, for the fight that's going to take place. People are running. They're like, what is going to happen? It says he saw a crowd was run into the scene. He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. This is just a freaky scenario. The spirit shrieked like, ah, you know, convulsed him violently, and it came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. Again, Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Here's a couple of verses I really want us to pay attention to. After Jesus had gone indoors, 
His disciples asked him privately. They were not about to ask this question in public where other people could hear. They get him indoors. They cut things have settled down. They're sitting around the fire. Jesus, why couldn't we do that? That is a vulnerable question. That is a scary question. These were Jesus' guys. This was his inner circle. Jesus says, this kind can come out only by prayer. This kind can come out only by prayer. You know, I think they got caught up in the Christian life. I think they got caught up going through the motions. I think they had taken for granted the power that was given to them. Or they'd come to believe that it was just inherent, that it was automatic. How easy it is to go through life. How easy it is to do church. How easy it is to do the Christian life. You know, we think because we meet on Sundays and we sing one song here, we say one prayer there, we gather up for a communion, but only once a month because we don't want to get too crazy and it's got to be the first Sunday of the month, right? It's got to be the first Sunday of the month. Then we're going to sing another song and then someone's going to get up here and pray. Well, I forgot the offering. We got to do the offering only by hand and this specific way because if you give online, that's not really, that's not what Jesus' disciples do. We get to thinking that this is how we do church, and we just assume that God's going to show up, that the Holy Spirit is going to show up and do work. And maybe he will, but I don't think that it's a guarantee. I do not think that it's a guarantee. You know, it is not enough to just go to a Bible-believing church just to go to church. I don't think it's enough just to read the Bible just to read the Bible. You know, we need to be going to church to get, the one, to get to know the one who started the church. And I don't mean Ricky Garner. I'm talking about the God of the universe who started the church, right? I'm talking about what if we want to get in God's word to get to know the author of God's word. Not to simply check a box because I'm doing the Bible in a, re, in a year reading plan, right? Good luck. I've failed that thing so many times, it's unbelievable. Then I just get frustrated. We can get into these things. The purpose of the Bible is going to be found in 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17. You probably know this verse. It's a common verse. It says, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation. All Scripture, every bit of it, every bit of it, is God breathed. That's the origin of it. It is from God. And what's it for? Who is it for? It is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that a man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You and me, we are the object. Our goal is the equipping of us so that we can go out and do God's work. But we have to be feeding ourselves. I don't know about you, but maybe you've listened to a sermon. Maybe you've heard someone. You've gone to church and like, yeah, I, I love that. And then you go and you just simply, you regurgitate 
what you heard, someone else's experience with Jesus on someone else, right? That's not how we feed ourselves. Man, we're going to go down here to wherever, get us a nice, greasy hamburger, eat it. It's much better than, uh, than Rick over here taking a bite of my hamburger and chewing it up and then feeding it to me. That's actually really disgusting. But that's what we do a lot of times with God's Word. We don't get in it ourselves because when we get in it, the Bible, it hopefully is going to be a mirror to show the dirt that is on my face that will then in turn make me to go, I have a need, and I have a need for a Savior. God's Word does more, or does more than just mean something. God's Word does more than just say something. God's Word does something. God's Word does something. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13 says, For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight. Ooh, man. <laughs> there are some corners, some dark corners of my heart that only God sees. That only God sees that I would be embarrassed that I would be ashamed for you to know about. If you're anything like me, which I think you're exactly like me, you're the same, you're the same way. God's word, laser focus, laser in on that dark corner, that, that, that thing that you've put in the closet. That's what his word does. That's what his Holy Spirit does in us. Everything is uncovered. Everything is laid bare before the eyes of him to who we must give an account. Ooh. Wild, wild. See, Jesus, Jesus' word will change us. God entering in, when we read God's word, his word then is reading me. It moves us. It changes us because of the one who wrote it, the origin, when we invite Jesus in to us. So that's God's word. But this demon could only be cast out by prayer. Some translations are going to say prayer and fasting. You're like fasting, fasting, the only time I fast is when I can't afford any food. It surely isn't on purpose. I don't know about you. Why would someone, why would someone deprive themselves of something? It's a commandment. Jesus says, when you fast, not if you fast. He says, when you fast, guilty of not doing that. Jesus got away all the time to pray, to be with his Father. He even took the disciples away and taught them to pray. Charles Spurgeon says that prayer, prayer is the thin nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. Prayer is the thin nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. So how do you pray? When do you pray? Where do you pray? I started going, Ross, our pa who spoke here last, last week, Ross is the pastor of South Campus. He's doing a Bible study on how to study the Bible uh, on Wednesday night. So 
Putman's were there. Kimmy was there. You can come. It's great. He 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 gets asked a lot of questions. He gets asked, he's like, hey, what, Ross, what is the best Bible to study? What, what's the best Bible? If I'm going to do a Bible study, what's the best Bible for me to study? You know what his answer is? Whatever one you'll read. That's the best one. We get caught up. Is it going to be the NIV, the ESV, the KJV? It don't matter what it is. As long as you're reading it. It'll change you. Same thing with prayer. How are you doing it? Where are you doing it? Why are you doing it? It don't matter. Are you doing it? Gosh, would we not be distracted? It is easy. It's real easy. Let us not go through the motions of this life or with our faith. Jesus, let us be intentional with you and those around us and engage a lost world with the Holy Spirit. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this time. Pray that um, these words, your word, your Holy Spirit would move us. It would change us. God, would we go and would we be great proclaimers of your glory and what you're doing in us because of our experience alone with you. Thank you. Father, for this invitation to come and to be recalibrated and adjusted for your kingdom and for your glory. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.